In the movie The Matrix, there's a striking philosophical line by the character Mouse. In one scene, Mouse asks Neo, uh, Neo is the hero of the film and just back from The Matrix, Mouse asks Neo whether he happened to notice the woman in the red dress when he was in The Matrix. Now, the woman in the red dress is not a real person. She's a digitized vixen. Mouse created her and he tempts Neo, offering him a rendezvous. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink, know what I mean, know what I mean, uh, kind of thing. And the other characters snicker about Mouse acting as a kind of digital pimp. But then Mouse sticks up for himself. He defends himself with a philosophical declaration, and it's a, it's a very cool-sounding line. To deny our impulses, he says, is to deny the very thing that makes us human. I'm Andy Abel, and this is the Confucian Podcast. Welcome to the second episode. Last time, we covered some basics, who Confucius was, the kinds of issues he tackled. If you remember, he lived during a period of increasing social chaos, so the question in the air at that time was how to make a society work. This time, we'll start to explore Confucian thought itself. And we'll examine a famous line from the Confucian Analects, and I'll get to that in just a minute. But first, I want to return to the Matrix and Mouse's cool line. The Matrix is a great movie. It's full of interesting stuff. The reference to Baudrillard's simulacra and simulation, for instance. I mean, wow. Uh, it's great stuff. But I'll focus on that one idea, that following our impulses makes us human. It's brilliant screenwriting. The scriptwriters, the Wachowskis, who made the film, put Neo into a kind of Joseph Campbell archetype, the hero facing temptation. The woman in the red dress is a temptation. But more than that, it sets up Mouse's zinger line. To deny our impulses is to deny the very thing that makes us human. Such a great line. It fits the movie so well. This idea that being natural and therefore doing what you want to do, and the idea that this ultimately is what makes you human, as well as there's another belief that goes along with it that, that's more free, that, that it, doing things that way makes you free. This, this follow-your-impulses approach to life comes from some intellectual developments of the 19th century, developments by Freud, by Nietzsche, and thinkers of their ilk. Freud especially because his central assumption, the idea that drove his research, the basic concept he kept coming back to, was that thwarting our natural instincts is what causes neuroses. Neuroses. So basically, you have sex drives which are natural, they're a part of you, says Freud. But if society or civilization or social rules come along to repress you, to repress your desires and keep you from expressing your sexuality, then you'll go crazy. Moral repression causes neuroses. If you've read Freud, you'll find this idea everywhere, and he lays it out really cleanly in Civilization and its Discontents. So, 
when Mouse says that following our impulses is the very thing that makes us human, he's echoing, he's echoing uh, Freud and Nietzsche and others. Uh, so this is some really great screenwriting. It clearly picks up on some of the underlying assumptions of our age. And okay, but now here's the thing. That line, that this idea that following our impulses makes us human, it's wrong. Yeah, it really is. And from a Confucian standpoint, it's even ridiculous. Okay, so here we come to a juicy conflict, a stark difference. And this is one of the really interesting things about Confucianism. It runs starkly counter to some take-it-for-granted views that are common these days in the West. You know, it's very interesting that people now routinely think like Mouse and believe their impulses count for so much. I mean, the intellectual history of how we got here is really very interesting. And look, hey, you know, I, I'm easy, I'm okay, you're okay, whatever. But, okay, what is the Confucian perspective on this? From a Confucian perspective, Having biological drives and acting on them does not make us human. Mouse is wrong. It makes us homo sapiens, maybe, but not fully human. Blindly following your impulses may, might make you like a barbarian or an animal or something like that, but not human. You know, some Confucian perspectives are sketchy or biased or based on ancient assumptions, but this point is solid. If there was some kind of debate between Mouse and Confucius, Confucius would get the easy win. Look, if I have you over for dinner one day and you get excited and you start humping my leg like a dog, don't expect me to see it as some profound expression of your humanity. Give me a break. That kind of behavior would announce you as a slave to the natural order, not a fully realized human being. I mean, I love dogs, dogs are great, but I expect more from you, let's face it. I expect you to know how to behave at a dinner party and you're knowing how to behave, uh, knowing what to do, what not to do, knowing how things go, more or less. That's the kind of thing that makes you human, not some random sexual impulse. On this point, the Confucian perspective is just right, and it's obvious. It's how you're socialized to behave that makes you human. That's the Western social scientific view, too, and not just in sociology, my field, but even in psychology, which is Freud's field. Nonetheless, uh, Freud's ideas changed Western civilization. Before Freud, you had cultural debates over whose morals were better, but Freud, took on the mantle of science, and so he did an end run past all of that. If science found that moral regulation of sexuality and other instinctive behaviors caused people to suffer madness, well, that was a very different kind of argument. You might claim that your religions or your morals were for the best, but this was something different. I mean, this was science, right? So Freud's approach was powerful. <clears throat> it seemed really up to date and uh, 
So it ended up radically changing all kinds of things, like our patterns of courtship and marriage. It was a force behind two free love movements in the 20s and the 60s. Uh, Freud had a really profound impact, some of it good, some of it bad. <clears throat> but despite all the talk of science, his work was actually based largely on assumptions. And despite what you may hear from the Jeffrey Epsteins of this world, it's simply not the case that you'll go crazy if you hold back on your sexual impulses. That's not, you know, being natural in this way isn't somehow better. Rates of neuroses for people who abstain completely, uh, monks and nuns, for instance, they're not higher. Uh, they might even be lower. So Freud was really wrong and not just a little. So, okay, clear enough and you know, whatever. But so here's the weird thing. This assumption, I mean the assumption that mouse voices is widely accepted. Um, you know, mouse's point is never even contested in the movie. I mean, think about it. This line echoing the debunked thinking of the late 19th century gets prime placement in one of the top grossing movies of all time and nobody bats an eye. And this kind of thinking not com comes not just from a few wackos, the Wachowskis are obviously pretty smart. It's widespread, this notion. It's, it's really all through Western culture nowadays, which is pretty scandalous. So let's get to Confucianism, but you see the potential problem. Confucianism is likely to strike many of you, dear listeners, and maybe most of you, as different from your basic understandings about human life. I've had conversations with people about Confucianism and the minute they hear that some kinds of behaviors are to be held aback, they're done listening. Uh, they don't want to hear anything else. But yeah, rather than altogether rejecting any restrictions on your behavior, Confucius is for some control. So what does that look like? Confucianism begins with a fascination for the processes through which we become human, with an emphasis on the becoming. The Confucian scholar Du Wei Ming used to explain Confucianism in relation to the Chinese concept of Xue Zuoren, learning to be human. Here's Here he is in a, a kind of, sorry for the audio quality here, but here's a clip of Du Wei Ming. Uh, explaining this. It's often stated that uh, Confucian learning is learning for the sake of the self. But uh, in Chinese, we use it uh, very uh, broadly, learning to be human. So, um, learning to be human, absolutely. And as I'm sure you can intuit, there's a sort of kindness, uh, decency, kindness, friendliness, niceness that's bound up in this process. A sort of kindness that fascinated Confucius and his followers, a sort of kindness that is hard to pin down, 
but that we become aware of, especially in its absence. What do I mean? If there's one peanut on the sidewalk, the pigeons rush in to fight over it. If there's one cookie left on the plate, the barbarian pushes you aside to take it. But the gentle person leaves the last cookie on the plate out of politeness, out of kindness. What is that kindness? Animal or barbarian behavior shouldn't surprise anyone. It's straight out of the natural order. But the gentle person's behavior is something else. It has to be learned. It's human culture and of a particular sort, and always informed by a certain type of kindness. Confucianism asks you, basically, yes, to restrain the self and return to ritual pri propriety as a, as a good behavior, as a, as a means to that kind of kindness, the sort of kindness that we're going to call benevolence. Benevolence. That's a key Confucian term, restraining the self for the sake of benevolence. I'm actually here paraphrasing a very famous line from the Analects, and this is our first line from the Analects, and, and it's a really pregnant little quote. This, this little teaching, this, this marvelous line from the Analects comes as Confucius's answer when he is asked about benevolence. So what is this benevolence really? What are we talking about here? Confucius's reply is timeless. Which I'll translate as to restrain the self and return to ritual. That is benevolence. It's just a snippet, just six syllables. What does it mean, to restrain the self and return to ritual? Well, you're to keep bringing yourself, bringing yourself again and again back to patterned behavior, behavior that has a kind of form that we know how it goes, uh, behavior that is decent and, well, Nice. All those little niceties, not taking the last cookie, waiting for the other person, thanking people, showing respect, giving gifts, uh, inviting people to dinner, saying hello and goodbye. All of these little rituals that if we stop to think about it, our lives are actually chock full of. Yet ritual in the Confucian sense is, it means more than the English word ritual. It includes even things like our bodily comportment as we act towards others. Things like humble bows, not walking too brusquely, the motion we might use in offering someone a place to sit. All such things are the stuff of ritual and all are part and parcel of the kind of benevolence that undergirds our development as human beings. It's this, this, this ritual behavior, all the little things that we do, and the big social rituals as well. It is ritual's connection to benevolence, uh, the way our ritualized behaviors interact with what you know we could call pro-social kindness, benevolence, as I say. It's all of this that undergirds, that forms, that supports our humanity. This idea still excites me. 
It can seem prosaic, almost too simple to be taken seriously, but it runs really deep. The idea that our humanity, which is to say that which is beyond the mechanical enslavement of our animal natures, the humanity that allows us to be such amazing creatures, such dominating animals in the world, that humanity is rooted in our everyday interactions, in the little things that we do for each other. It's basically the opposite of the guy on the subway train. The guy I mentioned in the first episode, the one with the muddy boots on the last subway seat. He was not restraining himself, and he was not in a state of returning to propriety, to expected patterns of behavior, to the things we know about how you're supposed to act on a train, to ritual in the Confucian sense of the word. He was not giving himself over to that. So he was not humble in that sense. Again, notice that we're talking here about ritual in a bigger way than we do in English. For followers of Confucius, ritual involved the kinds of things we typically call ritual, like church services or graduation ceremonies, stuff like that. But, as I say, it also includes all the little bits of behavior expected of people, the little kindnesses, the little rules of politeness. So the jerk on the train is not kuji fudi wei ren. He's not restraining himself. He's not returning to ritualized forms of good and kind behavior. He's not kind or decent or good. He's not. So, there's an implicit contrast here in its central. You have to understand this. The barbarian, and again, no 19th century style racism implied or intended. The barbarian does what he or she wants to and ignores or overcomes anyone that stands in his or her way. It's a me first ethic. It's what I want. What I want and my way, the highway, that kind of thing. The gentle person, on the other hand, considers the needs and preferences of others. Barbarism is about taking or doing what you want. Benevolence is about self-discernment in a spirit of humility and deference to others. So here's the difference. The barbarian imposes the self on others. The gentle person restrains the self on behalf of others. That's such a big idea. I'm just going to say it again. The barbarian imposes the self on others. The gentle person restrains the self on behalf of others. To fully appreciate what Confucius is up to, remember that he's not just speaking about individuals. You have to understand that if the ritual is fundamentally an expression of benevolence, which is to say kindness or other-orientedness or pro-social attitudes, then it serves social functioning. It makes a society better. If the ritual is not oriented towards benevolence, if it's a ruse, if it's fake, if somebody's using it to serve their selfish ends, then it works against the social order. So benevolent ritual brings social harmony, fake ritual undermines it, it destroys a society. And the whole thing really is based on kindness, benevolence. So again, this famous line, Benevolence lies in restraining the self and returning to ritual. And by the way, one surprise is that some texts that have been recently unearthed, dug up in tombs, some of these texts have Confucius citing this as a saying, not just saying it himself, which of course robs our poor Confucius of this great line. 
Um, so who knows? But remember that Confucius uh, actually always claimed that he was a transmitter and not an innovator, so whatever. But it is key. It's a key line because it so succinctly expresses the Confucian conception of what it means to be benevolent and, by ex extension, human. Now, of course, this kind of thinking is not limited to Confucianism. People everywhere teach their kids to say thank you, shake hands, and not steal the other kids' toys. And most people realize such things are important. But rather than unconscious understandings, Confucianism provides a developed body of thought. But now, okay, so now wait a minute. Don't social rules and etiquette and notions of decency, don't they ultimately have to limit our freedoms? I mean, aren't you holding back in some way, so therefore it's not free? Well, uh, you know, you can be a slave to your natural impulses, too. So learning to be human, learning to be human necessarily involves thoughtfully, critically and wisely responding to the world of human culture and ritual. You're not supposed to be a slave at all, but to be an active participant in what is truly human. And again, the goal is social order. You're probably aware that if a subway line has a lot of jerks like that guy with the slushy boots, that's a subway line you want to avoid, right? It's probably a mess in every way. It's dirty. Things break down. It feels like it's every person for himself. If there are no people like that guy, the subway feels like everything works. People help each other. It's clean and safe and comfortable. And that's freeing in other ways. Now, I have to admit, I have a background in sociology, and so there's a big part of me uh, that still wants to talk about, you know, that hears these things and immediately wants to talk about things like socioeconomic effects, socialization, uh, social status, normative behavior, uh, stuff like that. But Confucius really does come at it differently, and that's part of the fun. So a Western social scientist would likely see the behavior of the jerk on the subway as an outcome, a result of... Uh, you know, improper socialization or income inequality, something like that. But a Confucian scholar would more likely treat his behavior as a cause, a proximal cause to be sure, but as something that has effects of its own. Acting badly or acting good shapes an individual. Behavior sets habits, it defines personhood, it affects who and what you are. You know, we say you are what you eat, and okay, but you are mostly how you behave. Hear that again. You are mostly how you behave. And a society is an amalgam of such behavior across many individuals. People acting like jerks sometimes, you know, it shouldn't surprise anyone. Actually, barbaric might makes right primal hordes sorts of social systems very common and maybe even the norm. Some Confucian thinkers treat barbarism as our natural state, the way we human beings start out. What matters, what makes things better, is the human, the civil system that we can develop between us. And ultimately, that requires the cultivation of a special sort of kindness, benevolence.
I hope you've enjoyed the second episode. We went from Mouse's zinger line in The Matrix to Confucius's more sophisticated thought, I submit, uh, to restrain the self and return to ritual that is benevolence. Great stuff. Please join us for the next episode. I'll talk about deference and power and about how Confucian thinking about power is both its greatest triumph and its biggest failing. Till next time, express kindness, develop your mind, avoid all depravity, and serve the common good. I'm Andy Abel. Thank you for listening. <laughs>